0: So let's jump back into the Word this morning and study the Bible for just a few minutes, and, uh, and then we'll get out of here, back into our lives, and, and go live this out. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 2. We're in our Free to Live series, uh, studying the book of Galatians. And so in chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners, quotation marks, like the Gentiles. Yet, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. Let me read that again. So we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, uh, not because we have obeyed the law, not because we've been good, not because we've checked the boxes, not because we've done what we think we're supposed to do, not because we've been religious, not because we've been traditional not because our parents did it. For no one will ever be made right with God uh, by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ and, and then we're found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? What? If, if we can't be saved by the law and Christ saves us and it's faith in Christ alone that, that saves us and let's suppose we try again to go back to, to getting the law to save us and, and try to be legalistic once we've been set free by God's grace, that, that would mean if we're supposed to do that and we were meant to do that that God died for us, uh, gave shed his grace on us. Brought salvation to us through Christ that we could not do for ourselves. And then somehow attached on a little addendum saying, you must go back to the law and receive Christ. Then that means Christ would have led us back into something that leads us to sin. And Christ does not do that. God does not lead us into sin. The Bible is very clear in another place. It says that God does not tempt us. He is too good, too pure, too holy in his nature to lead us into that. And so the combination of receiving uh, God's grace and his salvation through faith and then switching immediately back to what we did before we knew Christ, trying to save ourselves, trying to do things that are good enough to save ourselves and set us free, which we could not do. To go back to that after receiving Christ makes no sense. It's crazy because God would not lead us back into something that he saved us from. He's a good father. He is a rescuer. We call it salvation for a reason. He ultimately set us free from this not to return us to something that will keep us in bondage. He is a rescuer. He is a freer. He is not an oppressor. He says, absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system, what we just talked about, of law, I already tore down. Christ obliterated that system of goodness that we try to create for ourselves, and that we try to do to save ourselves and be good enough. I, I, I've got, I've got some news for you this morning. There's no such thing as how good is good enough. There is no good enough. You'll never get there. You'll never reach it. You'll never find it. You'll never experience it. You'll never get there. Christ came so that we could experience life and freedom and salvation in him. He obliterated the old system of how good is good enough. We we'll have to live under that bond is that pressure and that oppression and that really slavery that comes with trying to be good enough and acceptable enough to God. He said if I'm a sinner and if I rebuild the old system of the law, for when I try to keep the law, it condemns me. If I went back to that, it would be like going back to something that I've been set free from that was condemning me, that was, that was finding me guilty. He said, I didn't want to do that, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God, so that I might be free. I died to all that stuff, so I wouldn't have to do that anymore. I wouldn't have to try to figure out how to save myself anymore. I died to that when Christ saved me. I I just have been relieved of the pressure and have felt the freedom of not meeting all those requirements anymore. This is just such a terrible thing that we do to ourselves. It's a terrible thing not only when we don't know Jesus. The Bible says that that when we are a natural man, as 1 Corinthians calls it, that we cannot discern the things of God. We do not know and do not have the spiritual eyes to see truth and to understand the Holy Spirit draws us into a relationship with God. And the Bible says that when we enter into that relationship with God through faith and by his grace, he gives us his helper, his Holy Spirit, his counselor to help us discern spiritual truth so we can know how to live and know what to do. So that the the physical, it's described in a way that the scales were on our eyes that, that we could not see and then those things fall away and it's illuminating and we can see truth and we can see what God wants us to do. And we can see how to make decisions, see how to live and see how to do relationships and see how we're supposed to be married and see how we're supposed to raise our kids and see how we're supposed to make decisions and and of ethics and morals at work and how we're supposed to live in this world. And so it's a sad thing. Not only when people who don't know God are trying to be good enough, it's almost exhausting so tiring to try to figure out how to measure up. You ever, you ever been there? I mean, have you ever been there in a human relationship where, where you're just trying to get someone to accept you? Where you're just trying with everything that you have to get someone to love you? When you're trying with everything that you have to get someone to see the good in you and, and for someone to see your worth and your value and your significance? It is exhausting. It is tiring. It is defeating. It is something that can really take captive your entire life. What's uh, really sad is when we don't see how God views us and when we don't see that he loves us and he gave his son for us and he made us and not only did he make us, the Bible says that he was meticulous and he was detailed in the way in which he made us and placed value on us. He said that he knows the hairs on your head and he beautifully and wonderfully made you. So you go out of here if you're bald and you say he knows me and I'm beautiful, alright? Bald is beautiful. I don't care what anybody says. And he He just so values us and it's amazing how we don't see that. And we can't accept that and we, we can't truly understand that. And, and that's for the person that doesn't know God at all. But for the person who who does know God through Christ, it is Equally as exhausting because we should know better. We should have have understood because now we can see spiritual truth. The scales have been removed from our eyes. The blinders have been taken off. And, and we can know the truth of God. The Bible says, yes, even the deep things of God. We, we can know these deep things. We can be deep. Ooh, that's deep, you know? And it is equally as exhausting and as unbelievable and as tiring and seemingly makes no sense for someone who can see spiritual truth. This is what Paul's trying to communicate to us. can See spiritual truth and know those things that God feels about us and know how he sees us through Christ and to still try to figure out how to measure up. Because he says we don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to go back to your old system. Christ has obliterated that with the cross. And he's done so because he gets glory for himself and he, because he loves you. He says, what happens to the old self is gone. My old self has been crucified with Christ, in verse 20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Some of you could quote that verse. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, not trusting in myself, not trusting in my system, not trusting in my rules and my regulations or someone, so, something someone has imposed on me. Trusting in God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then watch this, then there was no need for Christ to die. If if our systems were good enough, if your processes were good enough, if your religion was good enough, if your your set of laws that we create for ourselves and, and that were created for us Uh, through these sets of religion and in our minds, if they were good enough, then we wouldn't need Christ, but they're not. They don't help us, they condemn us. The law is good in a way in which it gives us an understanding of of how to live and how to go about life that, that helps us do good. And so the law is not terrible, but it is not, it is actually good, but it is not above the grace of God, He says, I live with God's help so that I can glorify him and so I can keep the law. But the law doesn't save me. God has. God's salvation makes the law meaningful. It makes it good for me. That's why he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if Keeping the law can make us right with God Then there was no need for Christ to die. But oh, but Christ did die. And he did shed his blood for us. He did atone for what we could not do. He did make the way for us to have a relationship with him. He did make the way for us to be acceptable to God. He did satisfy his holy righteous wrath for us. He did do it. So guess what? The law is not necessary anymore to save. Because if it was this grace would be meaningless, but it's not. It's fully, eternally meaningful. Therefore, making everything else in my life meaningful too, but not above it. What, what was this exchange? This is, we're still in this scene where Paul is talking to Peter. We're in this kind of middle school, high school scene that we saw last week. Peter is eating with the Gentiles, having a good time. God's told him that it's okay, it's cool to do that, it's fine to do that. Uh, he, he said, in fact, I want you to do that. It's okay not only to tell them the gospel and to preach the gospel to them and to tell them the good news of Christ, but you, you need to eat with them and hang out with them, and it's okay, and I haven't deemed that unclean, and, and, and I've deemed that good for you to do. And Peter was convinced of that, and he had his conviction of that, and then he went back to Jerusalem, and some guys made fun of him. And he got picked on and, and he got persecuted a little bit for eating with Gentiles and for sharing the good news with them. And, and it got in his head a little bit. and It got in his heart a little bit. And, and so when he was in Antioch in this place, uh, he was eating with Gentiles and he was hanging out and he was doing what God told him to do. He was doing what was, was beautiful about the gospel, that it is for everyone and it is uh, for all time. And then some of his buddies showed up. And then he became a middle schooler again. And when his Buddy showed up, the Bible says that he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore because he thought his buddies were going to pick on him for it. This kind of sounds like a high school scenario, doesn't it? Got this friend over here, like them, hang out, we have fun, but they're not quite acceptable to my cool friends. And so when I'm in, in, a, in a, did you ever have this? Some of y'all are looking at me like, I never experienced that. I was the cool person. When it's time to hang out with the cool kids, this, this person who's not quite in with the, the cool kids kind of gets left out on the margin a little bit. This is exactly what happened here. Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles and Paul said, that ain't right, you're a hypocrite. And he said, you're going against your own convictions. And he said, you're not expressing love, you're not expressing compassion, and you're not expressing the grace of God that he gave to you. And, and that he has for all people. And so what are you doing? So last week we talked about confrontation and biblical confrontation, what that looks like. It's not easy, but if we'll follow God's way in doing it, oftentimes it leads to restoration, which is the outcome we desire and that we want. And we're still in this exchange. Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps talking to Peter about this. He not only rebukes him and confronts him, he tells him why. And what we just read is, is, was the meaning of why he did what he did. He wanted to remind Peter himself and everybody around, remember the Bible says that Peter had uh, influenced other Jews to do what he was doing. So other people were influenced by his hypocrisy. And then the Bible also says that Barnabas, the, the, the guy, the, 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 the encourager, the, the strong believer, even Barnabas went astray and was being a hypocrite too. And so Paul, because he wanted to set the record straight, not only for Peter, but for those that were listening to be reminded in and of himself and even Barnabas who who had gone astray as well. He wanted to set the record straight about the gospel and about the true gospel and about what it means for us as we live life with other people. And so he says and follows this up with, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, almost kind of mocking him a little bit by saying, hey, we're, we're Jews, we should know better. Because what did we have? Well, we had the law and we had the promises and we had the prophets and we had the covenants. And we had all these things at our disposal by our birth. And, and, and basically he's saying it's easy for us to be on our high horse. It's easy for us to think more of ourselves than we should because we had all these things. But there's something that we didn't have and that's when he follows up that statement with, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ, not by obeying the law. So we had all these things. We had the promises and the prophets, and we had the law, and we even had the covenants with God. But now, after Jesus has come, after the promises that were made for Christ to us, after the promises that came through the prophets, in a couple months, we're gonna be talking about uh, Christmas. I almost said Easter. Like, where, how messed up am I? We're going to be talking about Christmas. We're going to be in Advent. We're going to be hearing about all these prophecies. You know, these scriptures that are read, that are placed in commercials and, and, and placed all over the place. and People don't even know the meaning of them. They are quoting the prophets of old that are prophesying, predicting the person of Jesus. He said, we have the covenants with God. We had the law that helped us live right at the time. We had these promises that he gave us and we have these prophecies of the coming Christ. We had all these things. Yet, yet, we should know better. Because we had these things, we now know that that Christ has come. The promise has been fulfilled. The covenant has been sealed. It's done. When Christ died on the cross, The Bible says that the veil was torn in two. There is now entrance into the Holy of Holies through Christ. We don't need that anymore. We don't need religion. We don't need laws. Don't need observances. Like someone prayed earlier, we don't need a priest. Of Christ. And so, as Jews, Paul's saying to him, we had access to all these things, and these things should point us to Jesus. And it should point us to the beauty and the universality of the gospel. That it is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for one people group. He said, now we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Christ, not by the law. God does not have a relationship with us on the basis of our race and culture. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that we serve a God and we serve a Savior and we have a savior who did not base whether or not he would come and what he would do for us on the cross through his grace on our culture or our race and that the gospel is not seated in prejudice aren't you glad that 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 Christ died for all aren't you glad that the gospel is for all people as the scriptures tell us and that one day all the nations And tribes will worship. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that. I cannot wait until we worship God in spirit and truth in a way that we're totally inhibited by our own prejudice. And we're totally inhibited by our own sometimes tendencies to see that more than we see Christ. That will be an unbelievable day. You know, prejudice and racism is at its base evil. It is sin sin. It is one of the great ugliness and insidious things that lives in the heart of human beings. And we all struggle with that. But really, at the end of the day, racism and prejudice is a denial of the gospel. It is basically saying that Christ values or God values someone over someone else. And it is a a categorical and fundamental and spiritual untruth. And when we understand the gospel and we understand the nature of Christ's death on the cross through his grace and that people who, who yes, may understand it a little more than the next don't have any more rights and privileges or access to God than the next. And that's what Paul's saying. Just because we were Jews by birth, we know now and should know more. We More should be required of us because we, we had this, we understood that Christ came, that God does not have a relationship with us on the basis of race and culture. And that in believing that in the way in which we act, we deny the gospel of Jesus and then it manifests and expresses itself in prejudice. But when we understand the gospel and understand that Christ has a relationship with us on the basis of his son, And on the basis of his own will, the Bible says in Isaiah, and this is an Easter kind of go-to, that it was the will of God to crush him, that it was God's will to bring glory to himself and to redeem mankind. And so the gospel in and of itself embodies the beauty of God loving all people. And those who have been set free by the gospel, those of us who have been set free in Christ must, with God's help, have a constant understanding that the prejudice and the feelings that we feel in that is not just a denial of someone else that doesn't appear to be like us. It is a denial of the true gospel in Christ. And when we realize that that is what's going on in our heart and in our life and in our minds, then it might carry greater weight for all of us to realize that God values each of us in a way that is worth being unified and is worth loving each other. See, when we realize we're not good enough and we realize we can't do anything good enough to save ourselves, we realize that we have to rely on God. And we once we realize the nature and the character and the heart of God, we will then begin to, in our lives, with his help, embody his character and his nature. Therefore, by his son's power and by his Holy Spirit, we will be able to overcome these things that we wrestle with so much in our hearts and that we deal with in our lives. So when we realize we're not good enough, we realize that that no one is above someone else. See, when you realize that you and I didn't do it and we didn't make the rules and we couldn't save ourselves, we realize that there is no one that's not worth it. There there, there was no one that is not a recipient of God's love in Christ. And then guess what happens? When we realize that that is the character and the nature and the person of God, and that is the beauty of his gospel, and it is lived out in our lives, we do the same. We realize that the people that are around us, there's no one not worth it. There's no one not valued by God. There's no one not loved by him in Christ. There is no one that the gospel is not for. He says, let me read it again. Yet we know that a person, a person, a person, just a person. That's what we are, just people. We don't have distinctions. I think one of the great mistakes we make in the race issue is we classify Instead of people, we are classified by anthropology and by culture. That's a big one. But we are people. If we go back to the beginning of creation and the way God designed it, notice in Jesus' teachings in the New Testament, every time he was challenged by the Jews, challenged by the Gentiles and their laws, he always went back to the beginning. And he went back to creation. And he went back to the formation of what this looked like. And the formation of what it looked like was, yes, we were separated into language and into context and into cultures. Yes, but we are people. In verse 16, he says, we know that a person, a human being is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So not only does the gospel obliterate prejudice and racism and classification, but it obliterates the religion that classifications and races and people embrace. Doesn't matter what it is. Because he says a person is made right with God, not obeying the law, singular. Whatever law and creed you find in your culture or you think is right for you, The gospel has obliterated that because a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus. Made right with God. Man, didn't that that sound good? Back to the relational issues that we have often with each other and with people in our lives and the tension and sometimes the issues we have in trying to measure up and get someone to accept us and to love us and to have a dynamic relationship with them. Really, at the end of the day, all we want is to be made right. We really just want it settled. We want it resolved. We want it to be okay. What's beautiful about this is that he says, a person is made right with God through faith in Jesus. Another word for that is the justification that God gives us in Christ. It means that in Christ, though we are sinners, we are not condemned. God accepts us in spite of our sin. Isn't that amazing? It's almost unbelievable. you know, a dynamic relationship that is not based upon the things in which we hold so, that we think are so important in this life, whether it's someone like us or it's a it's a prejudicial thing or it is a, a classification thing or or we just have these things in our heart toward people because we just don't like them. You know, we weren't very likable. And I can be very Unlikable, and I'm sure I, I was not uh, very likable to God in my sin. But the Bible says he has made us right with God through Christ. He's justified us. Though we are sinners, we are not condemned. And God accepts us in spite of that. True grace and love and freedom that comes in relationship is the acceptance in spite of who we are. In spite of our sins. Isn't it unbelievable to think that God does that and sees us in that way through Christ? That though condemned, the Bible says he sees us as righteous, crazy, in Christ. And he accepts us not because we don't sin, because in spite of it. Mind-blowing, this is the true gospel. It's as if you went out and you committed a crime in front of 100 people. And all 100 of those people testified that you committed this crime. And they did it to the detail. And then you made your way to court. And you sat in front of a judge. And in spite of 100 witnesses who said you committed this crime, the judge says you are not guilty. This is who we are as sinners. We we come into this world condemned. We come into this world guilty because of who we are, not because of what we do. And through Christ, we stand in this place guilty and condemned. But through his grace and through his mercy and through the cross and through faith in Christ, we are not condemned. He accepts us in spite of our sin. What's hard for us, I think, to accept about justification and about being made right with God is we don't believe that he can do that. I don't know how many people I've talked to through my almost 17 years of ministry that have said to me, there's no way God could forgive me for what I've done. There's no way that God could accept me for what I've done or said or thought and, and, and betrayed in my life because it's so unbelievable to us that God would love us and give Christ in such a way that in spite of what we've done, that he would love us and would shed his grace on us. And it's unfathomable. But he did. He did. And in Christ, he does. See, the the idea that we can't be good enough is the old system. See, there's no way God could love me and, and forgive me for what I've done because that's the old system talking. That's the old system of acceptance. That's the old system of trying to be acceptable. That's the old system of trying to get you to like me. That's why we lie. That's why we manipulate. That's why we do these things. To try to measure up. But the gospel says... You don't have to do that anymore. In Christ, you are free to live. Free to love. Free to glorify God. Free to live a life that's for the good of others. Because you stand in front of God, in Christ, not condemned, even though you're guilty. And Paul says the law couldn't get you there. And it can't get us there. As much as we try, we would never get a not guilty. In fact, that's why he says if you keep doing the law to try to make it do what it can't do, it will condemn you. It will lead you to an oppressive life, a broken life, a life non representative of Christ's gospel, his good news of Jesus. It's different, it's new. So we have to live new. Verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to read this one more time because this, this is the gospel of Jesus. And we said a couple weeks ago that believers need to hear the gospel. We need to re remind it again. And certainly people that are far from God need to know the good news of Christ and what they can experience not only in this life, but in eternity. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is what the condemned, uncondemned person should be experiencing in Christ. Because if it was my old self, it doesn't work. So my old self was crucified with Christ. It was killed off. It is no longer I who live, because I, I can't live in the way that I, it'll make me good enough. But, but Christ lives in me. And with Christ in me, is acceptable to God. So I live in this earthly body. By doing what? By trusting in the old system and my ways and my stuff that I had before. I mean, can I have my cake and eat it too? No. I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God. Why? Because he loved me. And he gave himself for me. He provided the only way. So we live in the same body as different people. This body is failing. (laughs) It's getting old. It's dying off. The hair is falling out. Things are, you know, you're getting old when you just keep running to a hot tub when you go on a little short vacation and you're just sitting there and you're, you're like making noises and groans and stuff and things, you know, the jets are hitting you're like, ah, oh, that feels so good. And you don't want to get out, but yet you're like burning up and your body is a prune. Um, you know, this, our bodies are failing us every day. So we live in these bodies, the same body we live as different people. And even though it is failing, we are being made new in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Same body, new life. Because Christ lives in us. And when Christ lives in us, we seek to live as Christ lived. We seek to express love in the way that he did. We seek to treat others the way that he taught us to treat others. We seek to do life and relationships the way in which Christ would desire for us. Because the old self's got to go. The old self didn't live like that. Now Christ lives in me. All of us. By faith. Through his grace. When when we were kids, there was this novel that came out. Uh, I think it was in the 60s, called Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I remember it became a TV movie. And, of course, we weren't allowed to watch movies um, like that. We could watch, I think I said this before, we could watch John Wayne kill people. Well, we couldn't watch Back to the Future. And so the and we couldn't watch TV movies. It was just too much. It's too much. It's that law again. Man, Those rules but I remember this thing came on television and me and Brian found ourselves at a friend's house. Of course, that's where we watched all our dirty movies. Um, those good Christian kids that we went to church with, you know. And uh, I remember Invasion of the Body Snatchers was on television, you remember this? And basic premise is this. There's this alien spores that like fall from space. I mean, it's so cheesy. But they they land on crops and on plants. And they manifest themselves and, and inhabit bodies of people. And and uh, in this little town, in this little fake California town that they made up. And after a while, there's a transformation to where, like, basically the person's essence goes away, but their body is still there. And they, they basically snatch their identity and they the, the alien kind of takes over and and these people, if you remember the the movie the the these people walk around like zombies, you know and their 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 loved ones are starting to realize there's something wrong with them, and there's something different. Gary, do you remember this the movie yeah yeah why <laughs> that that's the I was, yeah, so I was about to say this is the dumbest question I've ever asked if Gary's watching any science fiction, and so it's like um oh um, so so it was crazy, and then there's like only a couple of protagonists, you know, and heroes that recognize the, the difference, and they try to figure it out, and then they do figure it out, this whole thing. Really, at the end of the day, um, although cheesy and although science fiction and although a little weird, um, Christ is the body snatcher. He, he, we, we live in these bodies, but it ain't, it ain't the old self. It, it isn't who we are. We, Christ lives in me. And when Christ lives in me, I do things, act different, behave different, make decisions different, live life different than the old self. And that includes the things that are deepest and darkest in my heart. And so He snatches and restores that identity in Christ. So that's how I live. It's not I live. But Christ lives in me, and it comes out of my life in that way. And it glorifies God, and it is good for others and for me. That's what the cross was. It was an invasion. Christ came down to man, was born, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was raised on the third day, and it's coming back for you. It's coming back to get you. To reclaim that life that he has set free. So, guess what? Let's live like non-condemned people, as Christ lives in us and gives us that ability to do so. Let's stand up and let's pray, and then we'll worship a little more with that thought in our minds, Father.